God is doing a work in you. Amen. Nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is too difficult for God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah. God's attacking you guys. <laughs> Isn't that a great thing? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, you know, when we talk, started talking about fasting last week, and, and uh, just by, by way of just a little bit of refresher before we get into the next message, uh, remember that, that fasting doesn't, it can be a complete fast of everything, but, but it doesn't have to be. So I don't want you to be afraid and, and steer off of fasting just because you think, well, I've got to go completely without food and water. I'm not fasting. No, whatever you set aside to spend time with the Lord, it makes a difference. And that is a, a fast. And we're going to talk a little bit, if the Lord lets us get there tonight, about Daniel's fasting and how Daniel uh, fasted and, and what the uh, elements of it were. And so, you know, it's different. You know, it's not a, not Daniel didn't go on a complete fast. You know, a partial fast. So, anyway. Uh, and, and I know, again, that God will meet your needs and minister them to you as, as you seek Him. And every step that you take toward Him, I believe He takes two or three toward you. Amen. Amen. Uh, now, if you really want to get down to business, the more you fast and give up for the Lord, the more He'll draw near to you. Amen. So it's kind of uh, works in that way, commensurate with how much you lay aside for the Lord, He'll come in with His presence. And uh, He'll take a, and change you too. Fasting, for one thing, fasting doesn't change God. Fasting changes us. So we need, we need him. And we need him to do a work in us. Praise God. So that he can do a work through us. Amen? Amen. So I want us to turn to, and, and I don't think, Brother Philip, you have this, but uh, 1 Kings 21, 27 is where we're going to go. Last week we had talked about how... Uh, Jezebel did a false fast because Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard, you know, and Naboth said, this is my inheritance. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to trade it for you for anything that you think is better. I'm not doing it. It's my inheritance. And so Ahab went and pouted, and when he got into that pouty mood, uh, Jezebel came along and said, what are you, what's upset? What you upset about? And he, and he told her, and she said, you're the king. Proclaim a fast and, uh, you know, tell some couple of guys to, to make a lie about Naboth. That he is uh, blasphemed God and he's, he's uh, a troublemaker. And then take him out and stone him. And that's what Ahab did. And it was, it was a disgrace, you know, upon Israel and upon upon the move of God. Well, Elijah, who was 
always at odds with Ahab in the Scripture. Elijah comes along and he says, Ahab, God knows what you did. <laughs> and I used to read the kids' books to them, and it's got that story, had that story in it, and, and it's kind of funny little ca caricature that they had on that page. It showed uh, Ahab with a bunch of grapes in his mouth and smeared all over his face, and he's standing there, and Elijah comes up to him and approaches him. And, uh, hey, that's probably how it happened. You know, God got him right there in the act of eating those grapes. But God told him through Elijah, he said, your kingdom is going to be destroyed, and the, and the dogs are going to lick up your blood, and Jezebel's going to die, and the dogs are going to eat her up, and, and all that. Well, then Ahab repented. It says in verse 27, so it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And because of that, the next couple of verses says the Lord uh, told Elijah, hey, it's all right. Ahab repented. It's not going to happen in his lifetime. You know, and he's going to be able to go to his uh, death in peace. And so a little bit of reprieve, you know, from that. Didn't happen to him. It would happen to his son. And you know, I've always said, you know, that uh, revival is generational. And what I mean by that is every generation has to have their own revival. If every generation does not have their own revival, then there's decadence that comes about. You know, and, and uh, the children will rebel against their parents and against their parents' mores and morals. And so we need revival. So when we pray, and as, let's say, as we pray, say it that way instead of when we pray, as we pray, we need to pray for revival in our schools, in our colleges. You know, that's why we've got a lot of problems in today's culture is because the colleges have been turned over mainly to the big universities to leftist teachers. And so all of the college students that are growing up underneath that are learning these teachings, and that's why we have a lot of problems in our country. We need revival in the college. We need revival in the high school. We need revival in the junior high. We need revival in the grade school. Well, let's just have revival in the daycare. <laughs> and pray for the teachers. Amen, that God would minister unto them. Because, you know, there are godly teachers in the public school system. And they need our prayers. Amen. Because it is a battlefield. It is a battlefield. Well, I want to start us off tonight now talking about fasting for the sick. And as we go to this next verse that we're going to have, let me just preface it a little bit with this. You know, David had a problem. How many know David wasn't perfect, right? He had a problem. He was king, and, and uh, he, he should have been out to war, but he decided that either they told him he should stay home or he decided he would stay home. He got up on his rooftop one night, and he spied in his neighbor's yard. There was Bathsheba taking the clean, cleansing ritual bath from her 
monthly time. And he said, oh, I am going to send for her. And so he sent one of his servants over, and she came over, and of course they had an affair. And when she became pregnant, he sent for Uriah, her husband, who was a Hittite. Well, that should be all right. Kill the Hittite, right? No, because David sinned against God, and he sinned against Uriah, who was one of his soldiers, one of his mighty men that would put his life on the line for David and for the kingdom. And Uriah came back, and Uriah was, did not go to his house because that might, might have covered up the pregnancy. If Uriah would have gone home and slept with his wife, then everybody would have thought, oh, well, it's okay. It's Uriah's baby after all. But the, Uriah was righteous. He didn't go home. In fact, he slept in the courtyard. And David wrote a note out to Joab, put Uriah in the heat of the battle and withdraw from him, and folded it up and sealed it with his seal and gave it to Uriah to take to Joab. <laughs> and Uriah got killed. And David and Bathsheba thought, well, everything's cool now. Husband's dead. She had 30 days of mourning. Uh, you know, because she, that's the way they did things. And, and after that, David said, come on over here and be my wife. And so she did. And the thing displeased the Lord is what the Scripture says. And then, nine months later, she had the baby. Baby was born. Was the baby guilty? No, the baby was innocent. And so... God said because of David's sin, he was going to judge the baby. The baby would not live. God's righteous. He can do what he wants to do. We're not going to argue that, right? He's righteous. It is an eternal principle that God was standing upon. That sin had to have a punishment to it. And God knew that when the baby died, the baby would also be with him. Because mm -hmm. that's when, when babies die, that's where they go to be with the Lord, don't you know? Yep. Amen. So the baby got sick. And David was praying, he was fasting for the baby so that, that if possible, the baby could live. And I can hear David's prayer, Lord, I, I'm sorry in Psalms 51, he gave all of that. You know, Lord, I repent. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, Lord. And then he would pray, Lord, heal the child. Bring him back. But yet, the child died. And when the child died, the servants were whispering about it because they didn't want David to know. They said, if when the child was sick, he was fasting, what's he going to do when he finds out that the child died? He could do something drastic. And David saw them whispering, and he said, what's up? And they said, well, the child died. He said, okay. So, 
he got up, washed his face, sat down, said, bring me some dinner now. Because he had fasted for seven days. Then his servant said to him, verse 21, what is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And David said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So David fasted and prayed for his son. God could have brought him back, but God wanted to show David that it had to be a righteous son, a son that was birthed out of a right relationship. And so that was a, a lesson that David learned. And it's, it's a difficult lesson for us as we think about it. But there are times when we may need to fast and pray for those that are sick. And I think that that's a, a good thing for us to think about and consider. Fasting and praying for those who are sick. So, and again, it doesn't have to be a complete fast where you take and don't eat any food at all or don't drink any water. It can be just fasting something so, and taking that time when you're not eating and spending time in prayer. And one of the things I've noticed as I've begun this time of fasting is that, that uh, I'm praying in the Spirit. I catch myself praying in the Spirit more, you know, and, and that's a good thing. Because Romans says, when we don't know how to pray for as we ought, the Spirit prays through us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit prays through us, you know, in our prayer language. And so that's something good, and that's something we need to do. And don't be afraid of that, because the Lord wants to flow through us. And, and the other thing that will happen, too, is I, I think that it will give us boldness to believe God for who He is. Because if we don't really know God in, a, in an intimate way, like we sang about tonight, you know, if we don't really know God in an, intim in an intimate way, then we we'll, won't be so prone to think, well, God can take care of this. But the more we draw near to Him in fasting and prayer and seeking Him, the more we believe nothing is impossible for God. And that, yes, even if I were to pray for someone, they would be healed. Because, you see, God wants to use each and every one of us. But sometimes we're not open to him being using us because we are not focused on the eternal. We're focused on the physical and what we can see. So we've got to get our minds tuned into his, the heavenly radio station, so we can hear the message that God is wanting to play through us. Amen. You found yourself in unusual situations lately? You wonder, well, how have I gotten here? Or why am I here? Or what does God want from me here? That's a good question too, isn't it? What does God want to do through me in this situation? Because God wants to take us, mold us, shape us, use us in every situation we come in contact with.
So a lot of times as we're fasting and praying, we pray in the spirit and we pray under our breath, you know, just saying, Lord, you know, use me in this situation. Take me, mold me, shape me, use me. Give me the words to speak. Give me the just the very just the action to say, to do. You know, and that God will do it. You know, Stephanie and I have been praying for a man at her work. He's in the hospital. Desperate situation. He's turned around. He's home. He's going to be back to work, they say, this week. We believe God. It's a witness. You know, that's one thing. It's a witness to people when you they see the hand of God at work in their lives, in their physical bodies. It's a testimony to them about God's love. Another thing, Stephanie learned this a long time ago when she worked at the fashion barn down in Homestead. She had a girl in there that you know, just had a filthy mouth. I'm sorry, ladies, but in my experience, a lot of times that's the way it is. Okay. But anyway, I better not go there. All right. Uh, anyway, we prayed about it. And, you know, when she went into work that one day, the next day, that lady hardly spoke a word. <laughs> and that's what she prayed, that she wouldn't speak a word. Yeah, she couldn't say anything purer and righteous than she couldn't talk. And God closed her up. And, you know, we've been praying for the people at work because now we've got an exponential thing going on. One, two, three, four, five people that we know of that we could just call off. Right now, I'm not going to say any names, but, you know, it, they are just, uh, you know, one's a sailor and <laughs> the rest of them are falling in the suit, you know. <laughs> You know what? God's cleaning up the laundry. Amen. Why? Because we bring the presence of the Lord wherever we go. And the presence of the Lord convicts. We don't condemn them. You know, that's that's not our job. Our job is just to bring the love of the Lord so it convicts them. And they don't want to talk like that anymore. One of them, you know, so cute. She, she would say a curse word, and they said, "Oh, forgive me." And curse word, another curse word. Oh, forgive me. <laughs> God doesn't work like that. He does that work. What are we supposed to do? He's praying for the sick. Okay, going on now. I'm fasting for the sick. Psalm 35, next verse here, verse 12. They reward me evil for good. David said. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. Man, this just hurts me the way people treat me. That's what David was saying. I'm doing good to them, but they're just being bad to me. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer would return to my own heart. What's he saying? No matter how bad somebody is to you, even if they you if they consider you their enemy, and if you think they don't like you, if they're sick, you fast and pray for them and watch what God will do. That's what David's saying. You know, God takes care of situations. 
you know? A lot of times when we have people that become our enemies, we want to see what we can do to be the hand of retribution to fix the thing, right? And God says, no, will you just pray for them? Will you just pray for them? And the, the scriptures talk about in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, when you love someone, it heaps coals of fire upon their head. It does. Now, praying for the sick, even if they don't like you, and then there's the situation where Jesus was on the mountain of transfiguration with Peter, James, and John and Mount Hermon. And down below, there were his other nine disciples. And this man brought his son to them who was demon-possessed, and they could not cast him out. The nine could not cast him out. And so Jesus come, came down from the mountain and all of a sudden, here's the presence of God coming down there the, in Jesus. And he steps into the situation, and of course, the demons are exposed. And Jesus casts them out before they can manifest and kill somebody or create a stir. He casts out the demons. And the disciples come to him and ask him, Lord, why could we not cast them out? And here's Jesus' answer. However, this kind does not come out, go out except by prayer and fasting. When you're in a difficult situation, when you're up against a difficult situation where you think that there is demonic activity going on, hey, there's the answer. Fasting and praying in the situation. And God will minister. God will touch you so that you're ready to step into it and minister into it, and he will also touch them. Praise God. He can do it. Fasting also prepares us for battle. And I'm going to read a couple of passages here about that. Um, Judges chapter 20. We're not going to read that whole thing, but just read. I'm going to read one verse here about uh, the remedy that they, they had. The Benjamites were protecting Gibeonites because the Gibeonites had lived in, Gibe in Benjamin and they had done a, a high, committed a heinous crime. It was terrible. And, you know, if you want to read about it, it's there in chapter 20. But all Israel gathered together against Benjamin because Benjamin was protecting them and they had a fight, a battle. Several thousand Israelites were killed and the Benjamites thought that they had won a great victory that day. And they had because none of the Benjamites were killed. But So the Israel all gathered together, all the children of Israel, verse 26, that is all the people went up and came to the house of God and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord so that the Lord would come and minister. And the next verses talk about how they brought the Ark of the Covenant there, the presence of the Lord. And they wanted to rid the Israel of this evil because it was a terrible, evil thing that the Benjamites had allowed to happen in, in, their, uh, in their territory. And as a result, 
Israel got the victory that day over the Benjamites. And, you know, God worked it out. And I want to go on further to the time of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now, Jehoshaphat's enemies were not Israelites. They were the Moabites and the Ammonites, those who had been against Israel for a long time and even very hateful to Israel when they came through to go to the Promised Land. But now, this is several hundred years later, and they're coming to attack Jehoshaphat. And here's what it says in chapter 20, verse 3. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Everybody fasted and prayed and sought the Lord for this victory. And God gave them the answer. God said, send out Zach and the worship team first. Right? Zach and Lucia, you get out there on the forefront. You sing praises to the Lord. And that's that's what they did. They sent the praisers out first. And because of it, God sent a mighty stir against these these other countries. And they started rising up and killing each other. And then they they left. They left the area. And Israel had a great and mighty victory. Why? Because they trusted in the Lord. Because one of the things that they said, as they fasted and prayed, they learned something. You ever learn something? Yeah. I'm, I'm learning something all the time. I hope you are. But they learned something. They learned this. The battle is the Lord's. Whatever situation you're in, learn this. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And when they stood on that and went out, God brought a mighty victory for his namesake. Amen. And if we go forward a few hundred years later, a couple of hundred years later, Israel had gone into captivity. (coughs) And now... Ezra was going to bring, by order of Cyrus, bring people back to Israel. You know, a a trek of 1,500 to 2,000 miles by horseback and on foot. Bunch of people traveling, you know, priests and Levites and some men and some women and some children. And, and maybe some wagons, and they were going to travel all that distance, 1,500 to 2,000 miles. And they were afraid of what enemies might be lurking along the way. And so they were praying for direction now. Now I'm on that section. And I don't know if they put that up there. Praying for, fasting for direction. Because Ezra told them, Ezra did said this, he said, He told uh, the rulers there, the Persian rulers, God's going to take care of us. You ever stick your foot in your mouth like that? (laughs) Say something before you think about it? God's going to take care of us. And so he said, I couldn't ask for soldiers to be with us, to guard us, keep us safe from the the, uh, thieves and robbers that might be along the way. So I said, call fast. So verse 21, 
Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. Because, man, they, they had all the gold articles of the tabernacle, of the temple, you know, and a lot of treasure. You know, they could have been robbed, but they weren't because they sought the Lord. You ever carry a bunch of stuff uh, from one city to another that you thought, man, I hope nobody knows what I've got? Yeah? I mean, I'm not talking about things that are illegal. I'm just talking about things, you know, maybe maybe some wealth. You know, I think, well, well I, I hope nobody knows that I've got this stuff. Well, that's what Ezra was going through. He said, I hope nobody knows. But, you know, we've got to seek the Lord for direction. We've got to seek the Lord for his protection. And he fasted and prayed, and indeed, the Lord did protect him. Amen. And then just a few years after that, Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. I don't know if you understand what a cupbearer is. A cupbearer is the guy that makes sure that the king's not poisoned. Great job, right, Nelson? Yeah, because if, if, if somebody sends a poisonous drink and he drinks it and he dies, then the king knows that he shouldn't drink that, right? Well, if there's poison in the food, <laughs> well. <laughs> and so that was Nehemiah's job to the Persian king. And so, you know, he heard about how Ezra had gone back and started rebuilding the temple, but he heard about how there were no walls around Jerusalem, and it grieved him. And verse 4 said, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Part of the reason why he was fasting is because he was in a situation where he was troubled about it. And when he went before the king, you know, he had to have a good countenance, you know, and a good attitude. But yet when he went in there, it looked, he appeared like he was in distress. Can you imagine? The king probably might have thought, well, uh, is the food not agreeing with you? Maybe there's some poison there, you know. But, you know, but he prayed and he fasted and said, God, help me before the king. And the king got insight that there was something really that was burdening Nehemiah's heart, and Nehemiah told him, and the king paid for his trip to go to Israel and for extended leave from his job so that he could go there and build, build the walls around the city. That's amazing. <laughs> because Nehemiah fasted and prayed. Wow. There is power in fasting and praying. Amen. Then in Esther, there's another story. Just a few years later after that, Esther had become the queen of the king of Persia. And the king also, though, had set up a man who was a descendant of Agag, the Amalekite, to be his right-hand man, his advisor. His name was Haman. And Esther's uncle, Mordecai, would not bow down to Haman. Haman would parade through the town on his horse and expecting all the people to bow down to him because he was friends of the king. Haman, and Mordecai said, no, 
I'm a Jew, and, and I'm, I, that's against my beliefs. I'm not going to bow down to any man. I'm only bowing down to God. And Haman inquired as to who Mordecai was, and when he found out, he says, Oh, Pedro, I got a plan. And he went to the king, and he said, Oh, king, there's a group of people that aren't really very good for you and for your kingdom, and we're going to get them uh, rid of them. And I'll help to pay for it, too, if you'll give me the date and the, and the seal and everything, and everything will go. And so the king said, Yeah. And all the Jews were upset about it. Chapter 4, verse 3. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Wow. Why? Because at the appointed day, which was a few months from then, they were going to be executed freely. Everybody was going to give a, get a free pass to kill any Jewish person. On that day. So Mordecai, he not only fasted and prayed, he put a little legs on his fasting and praying. He went and he talked to Esther. He said, Esther, you know this is what has happened. And who knows that you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. That's a good passage, you know, to take care of this need, to help us out. And Esther told him, and she said, well, the king has not called me in to his presence for 30-some-odd days, and, and if I go into his court and he does not hold his scepter out, then the guards could carry me off and kill me. Pretty extreme. So here, Esther said, okay, I will do it. Verse 16, she says, Mordecai, you go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night and day. My maids and I will fast likewise. So I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She fasted and prayed so that she could boldly do what others might have considered to be against the law. And when she went into the king, he held out his scepter to her. And he eventually heard her plea and had Haman executed. And all the enemies of the Jews were to be executed on the same day that Haman had wanted to execute the Jews. So God turned it around for a good thing for the Jewish people. So the Jews fasted and prayed for favor, and they found favor. You know, we can fast and pray for the coming of the Lord. You know, as we're praying for direction, we can fast and pray for the coming of the Lord. That's what Anna did. No, not Anna Tamard, Anna in the Bible, right? Anna in the Bible, and Pastor Zach talked about this a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 2, verse 37. Anna, was a, this woman, was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And what happened as she fasted and prayed? God allowed her to see Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus, the Messiah, in. Wow, wouldn't that be neat? You know, 
And a lot of times, you know, when people fast and pray in the Bible, and that, they see angels and they see they see appearances of God. And, and here Anna was seeing the appearance of Christ, the very Christ. And she says, wow, this is what I've been fasting and praying for, Messiah to come, and here he is. Praise God. And Cornelius, in the book of Acts, chapter 10, was a Gentile. That's what all of us here are, isn't it? Anybody Jewish? Okay, so we're all Gentiles. You may be one-tenth Jewish, part, part Jewish. Okay. Oh, all right. Your grandmother's Jewish, okay. But, but we're mostly Gentiles, huh? But God loves Jewish people and Gentiles, doesn't he? Amen. Yeah. And here's Cornelius. He's a, he's a centurion. He's a Roman. He's battle-hardened. He didn't get to be a centurion by just being a guy that punched his card and, and sat in the back part of the army and cut potatoes. You know? Those guys are necessary, but Cornelius was up on the battle front. And so he got to be a centurion, leader of a band. And not only that, he wanted to seek God. And he had heard about the God of the Israelites. And he'd heard about also about God moving on the church. And so he prayed and he fasted. God appeared to him as an angelic visitation. Third chapter 10, verse 30. So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he told him, Your prayers are answered. Amen. So God answered Cornelius' prayer as he fasted and prayed for a full revelation of God. And Cornelius was saved, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we don't hear about Cornelius anymore in Scripture, but I can imagine he was a man that didn't waste any time doing what the Lord wanted him to do. So God is able to touch us, move in us, and move upon us, move through us as we seek him and fast and pray. Amen. So what about us today in 2024? Uh, should we fast and pray? Well, Jesus said, remember, when you fast, he, said, he didn't say if you fast, he said when you fast. So again, God is calling all of us to fast in some way or another. Not necessarily all day or every day, but you know what God wants you to do. You know how God wants you to fast. Now, let me just explain how my fasting has gone this past couple of weeks, or this past week. So, usually, every morning I get up, I twice a week I'll fix an omelet. And uh, twice a week I'll fix a bowl of oatmeal with strawberries and toast. And it, my omelet has toast. And twice a week I'll have cereal for breakfast. Okay? And usually on Sunday morning, I will have a banana 
four crackers for breakfast. And that's why I consider my fasting, it's, 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 a, it's a way of setting aside what I normally would do to, to not eat as I normally do so I can keep my mind keen and listening to the Lord. So since we've started this time of fasting, though, or since maybe you haven't, since I've started this time of fasting, I've just been eating a banana in the morning for breakfast. All right, tea and coffee. And so that's what I've been uh, doing. Until today, I was only, for lunch, having broth and crackers and then eating a regular dinner. That's, you know, that's, that's the way that I was led to do this fasting. You see, so it's not just have, doesn't have to be a complete fast. Now, last week I talked about uh, going to Chin's. And how I just, I love to go to Chin's, right? So we had already scheduled to take our Aunt Barbara to Chin's for Sunday dinner for her 84th birthday. So how am I going to do that? Oh, Lucia, I'm sorry. You're the one that organized this. I'm sorry. I cannot go. I am fasting. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. You know what I did? I didn't eat any. Thing that was deep fried. That means I couldn't eat any frog legs. Oh man, cherish that hurt my feelings. I'm serious. <laughs> I couldn't eat any deep fried shrimp. I couldn't eat any uh, crab rangoons. Thank you, Stephanie. And nothing deep fried. I, I just chose. I'm going to do something different. See, so that. My body. I'm doing it for the Lord. You see? As we do it as unto the Lord, He looks down and He blesses us. He says, I see what you're doing. I see how you're setting yourself apart. I see that you're seeking me. Because you see, again, it can't be just a fast because we go without food or change our diet. It has to be that we seek the Lord too. Seek the Lord. Okay, here's what Paul said. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 5. And we're jumping into the middle of Paul's list, but here he says, this is what I've been doing, he says. In stripes, anybody been beaten? Oh, no, I haven't either. You have? Beaten, beaten for the Lord? Yeah, okay. But Yeah. I've been beaten by my mom, yeah, right? I know what you mean. <laughs> she had a leather strap, you know. Uh, okay. Anyway, anyway, we, you know, we've talked, Paul's talking about being beaten for the Lord, for his faith. In stripes, in imprisonment, he's been, he was in prison several times, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fasting plural. And then we jump on to chapter 12, or chapter 11, excuse me, of 2 Corinthians. He gives the list, starts the list again, and he says, in weariness, in toil, and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings, again, it's plural, often in cold and nakedness. So, 
Paul's setting an example for us, and the Lord is calling us, if we will listen, he's calling us to set aside time for him to fast. Whatever and however that looks to you. Whatever God's calling you to fast, will you do it? Here's what Isaiah 58 says. Great chapter on fasting. Explains it very well. We're just reading that, Nelson. This afternoon, wonderful, yeah. And Nelson told me that before I ministered last week, the Lord had already spoken to him about fasting. And Lucia said the same thing. You know, so you know, we're, we're learning something here and we're listening to the Holy Spirit. And we're trying to follow what he says. Here's what it says. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you have taken no notice? Oh, you know, they're, they're asking the Lord. Lord, we're doing this. We're punishing our body, but why aren't you answering us? Well, here the Lord's going to answer. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers or your employees. He's saying, this is why I'm not hearing you. You take pleasure instead of seeking me. You do what you want to do that pleases you. And you exploit your employees, the people that work for you. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate so that you can tell other people that you're fasting and you could be like the, the Pharisee. Remember we talked about last week? He said, I thank God I fast twice a week. I'm not like this old publican over here. you know." And, and that's not what we're talking about. That's not what this is, the teaching is all about. This teaching is all about let us seek the Lord. Amen. And God goes on to say to them, and to strike with the fist of wickedness. So what's he saying? That when you fast, you shouldn't be angry with people because you're not eating. Don't let your Hanger, or hunger, stand, turn to hanger. <laughs> because you haven't been eating. Seek the Lord and let His Spirit manifest inside of you and through you. The fruit of the Spirit, as we seek the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit should become more prominent in our lives. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance, and faith. That's how I learned them. So there they are, the nine. And you might have them different in your Bible, but, but those nine, however they are, my Bible or your Bible, those are what we should be seeking to have grow in our lives. They're not gifts. God doesn't give them to you. But as you seek Him, they begin to grow in you. And they're all kind of manifestations of the love of God. That's what they are. Okay. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. God said, I'm going to change this. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day of the Lord? And now he's going to tell them what their fast should be. Verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness. Loose the bonds of wickedness. To be one who is ready to step in and to minister 
life and hope to people. To not judge other people because of who they are and what they've done. But to loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo heavy burdens. Instead of piling on people heavier burdens, no. Loosen their burdens. Maybe saying, can I help you with something? Maybe saying, hey, the Lord wants me to be your helper today. The Lord wants me to help you. To let the oppressed go free. Wow. And that you break every yoke. How do we break the yoke? Pastor Kevin talked about this to his, you know, in this series on the anointing. How do we break the yoke? It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. So as we fast, we draw near to the Lord, the anointing comes into our lives, and we begin to speak to people and love people and break the yokes that are off on them, on them. Break them off. Break them off and set them free. Amen. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? Wow, that's something a little different, isn't it? To go out and reach out to people, to embrace them, to minister into their physical needs. And when you see the naked, that you cover them and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then, then shall your light break forth like the morning and your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. Why? Because you're fasting in the right way. Oh, I wanted to make a few comments about that. And not hide yourself from your own flesh. So, when you're fasting, you can't say, well, oh, I'm not, I can't clean my room today, I'm fasting. Oh, I can't do the dishes today, I'm fasting. Oh, I can't do what you want me to do today because I'm fasting. You can't use fasting as an excuse is what that's saying. Hiding yourself from your own flesh. So that you can appear to be godly, but yet you're not helping out. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. You know, interesting thing about pointing the finger at somebody, you got three pointing back at yourself. Ever think about that? When you're pointing your finger at somebody? Okay. And he says, you're taking away the pointing of the finger. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. I like that. When you seek Him, He's going to be your continual guide and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones and you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Why? Because you have fasted and sought the Lord in the right way. Amen. When we seek the Lord, He will be found. He will be found. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to go on just a... Well... What? Nothing? Nothing? page of going on.
I better not. I wanted to talk a little more about Daniel's fasting, but I think I better just close right here because it's already a quarter after seven. Is this about the time we usually go to, or do I have 15 minutes? Sister Lucia says, yes, why not? Okay, all right, here we go. Daniel 1, 8 and 12. Daniel and the children of Israel were taken captive to Babylon. And they had been set aside, Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had been set aside as children that looked great and were ones that the king thought that he could make into his advisors and and his special men. And so he would train them for three years. And he had certain things that he wanted to do in order to train them. And part of it was that, you know, that old saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. When in Babylon, do as the Babylonians. He thought that he could get them to do that and thus make them into good Babylonians as his advisors. Well, verse 8, here it is. This, this is so good. Daniel, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Where, therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Wow. See where it's got to start when you're fasting? It's got to start with a purposing in your heart. He purposed in his heart. Now, what was wrong with the king's delicacies? Walbert and Zuck, which is a commentary, says this. First of all, the meat was not kosher. You see, for Jewish people, kosher meat was had to be cut in a certain way, for one thing. Had to be trimmed. The fat had to be trimmed off of it in a certain way. And there could not be any pork. No bacon, no ham, you know, no pork chops. None of that. So only certain things could they eat. Uh, unfortunately, they couldn't eat catfish either. Uh, that's not kosher. Not kosher. <laughs> <laughs> so if, and that's one of the things I, I avoided at, at, uh, at uh, the restaurant the other day too. Didn't eat any catfish. Uh, even though I love it, you know, I didn't, I didn't eat any. So, no, didn't have outside. Anyway, the other thing about the meat was that it would be prepared by Gentiles. And to the Jewish people, the preparation by Gentiles offended them and was against their principles. And so these Jewish boys, four, there only four of them were the only ones that stood up. There may have been other Jewish boys there, but only these four stood up and said, no, we will not. And the other thing is that these foods, these meats, were probably offered to idols. And so they did not want to participate in that 
as far as being a part of idol worship. So Daniel said this, Please test your servants for ten days, verse 12. Let us them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And your Bible may say pulse, but it's vegetables in the New King James. Is what they ate. And I'm not a vegetarian, but I can understand what Daniel's doing here. He's setting himself apart so that he could seek God. For three years, they did that. Back in verse 5, it says, The king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Oh, here's something else that Walbert and Zuck said about the wine, by the way. He said, most Gentiles drank the wine straight. Most of the Jewish people drank the wine one part wine, three parts water, or one part wine and ten parts water, depending. So they watered it down so it was not that strong and that potent of a drink. And so this is one of the things that Daniel was doing, you know, to keep his mind clear. Let's be honest. Can we be honest here? Wine will kind of numb the senses and even the alcohol can damage the brain, right? And so just to give oneself over to drinking that, like the king was wanting these young men to do, would not have been a good thing, would not. All right, then the king examined them in verse 18. At the end of the days when the king had said, that they should be brought in. The chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore they served before the king. In all manners of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them, oh my goodness, twice as, oh no, it's not twice. It's, Five times. Oh, no, it's not even five times. It's ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all of his realm. Wow. Because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego set themselves apart to fast and to seek the Lord. Amen. And because they did that, God honored them. So when we do that, when we set aside ourselves to seek the Lord, God will honor us. He will lift us up. And I believe that the fasting and praying is a big part of that. Now, I want us to go to Daniel chapter 9 very quickly here. In verses 2 and 3, Daniel had read in the Word in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah prophesied that the captivity of Israel would be 70 years. And so... I'm sure in Daniel's mind, he was thinking, if he were thinking in the natural, well, Jeremiah must not have been a true prophet because here we are at 70 years and it's not happened. But in the spiritual mind, he said, Lord, when? You prophesied, Lord, that it would happen. When is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. 
In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, in the reign of Darius, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He prayed to the Lord to get the answer. Lord, what does this prophecy mean? And as he fasted and prayed for God's answer, God answered his prayer. And in his prayer, we're not going to take time to read it, but you can read that in chapter 9. In his prayer, he identified with Israel. And he said, Lord, we have, we have sinned. He didn't say, Lord, those people are so nasty. They have sinned against you. They are idol worshipers. They are evil, Lord. You have rightly punished them. But I am righteous. I am Daniel. He didn't say that. He said, Lord, we have sinned. And he identified with them. And he said, Lord, you are the righteous one. Because you see, that's one thing that fasting will do too. It will help you to see the righteousness of God and the rightness of God and the lowness of us as human beings and our need for him because that without him we're nothing, just like we sang about tonight. And then as he prayed, verse 21, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you that you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. And he goes on, goes on to ex give an explanation there. And it is a messianic prophecy. He, was going to tell, he began to tell him what 70 years meant, and he told him it's a mess, there's a messianic prophecy. Because you see, just boil it down real quick in about a minute if I can. He said, 70 years are 70 weeks, and each week is seven years. So that means, and he divided it up, and he said, 490 years altogether. And then he said, 483 years would be from now until the time that Messiah would be cut off, the crucifixion. And the 70th year, 70th week, or the se last seven years, is what Bible commentators refer to as the Great Tribulation. So that last 70th week has not happened as yet. So that's in the future. That's as far as I'll go on that right now, okay? But, but that's the, what Gabriel began to tell him and to give him hope that Israel would soon be allowed to return. And then in chapter 10, Daniel's praying again. And in verse 2, chapter 10, those days I was mourning three full weeks, ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all until three whole weeks were fulfilled. Go on to the answer in Daniel 10, 12 through 14. Gabriel appeared to me and said, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come before because of your words. 
that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of thy chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. And what we get from that is this. Gabriel had been sent for 21 days prior. He had been sent to Daniel. When Daniel first began to pray. And in the last passage we read in chapter 9, it said from the time that you began to pray too. When we begin to set ourselves to fast and pray and to seek the Lord, from that time he begins to do a work. He begins to send the answer. What are you fasting and praying for? You fasting and praying for your kids, for your neighborhood, for your workplace? What are you fasting and praying for? Persevere. Don't give up. God heard Daniel the very first day that he began to pray and fast. And 21 days later, the answer came. And God loves us just as much as he loved Daniel. And he wants to minister unto us. So right now, would you stand with me, please? And lift up your hand to the Lord, signifying what's on your heart right now. That what you want God to do. Your children, maybe your grandchildren, your neighborhood, maybe your job, whatever it is. Lord, we lift it up to you tonight. Lord, we know that you are the one who answers prayers. Lead us and guide us, Lord. How we are to fast and pray for this situation and for these people. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for our own failures, for our own sins. Lead us and guide us, O Lord, I pray. And help us to be a witness and a light to those that we come in contact with. And thank you, Lord, for what you are going to do. Thank you that your answer is on the way. You are going to be saving people that we love. You're going to be ministering in the situation, setting the captives free. Lord, you're going to do a great and mighty work to your glory and to your praise. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for giving me 15 more minutes.